Yellow trucking is shutting down. The average CEO to worker pay ratio was 272 to 1 last year, and the studios are finally going back to the table with the Writers Guild. I'm Harold Phillips, and this is Labor Week for August 4th, 2023, powered by the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Come on, it's Welcome to our first episode featuring a roundup of the top worker and organized labor headlines from the past week. You'll find links to the articles I mentioned in the show notes or at laborweek.org. The transportation sector and thousands of employees are still reeling from the news last week that yellow trucking is shutting down regular operations. As the Wall Street Journal reports, the news came a week after a battle with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters over missed pension and benefit payments and new contract terms. The Teamsters, for their part, said they are committed to ensuring members are protected and notified with all the latest information, and that the International is putting infrastructure in place to help affected members get the assistance they need to find good union jobs throughout the freight and other industries. As NPR notes in its report on what it calls the yellow trucking meltdown, the company has been at risk of bankruptcy for years. Staying in the transportation sector, Global News Canada is reporting that Canadian longshore workers with the ILWU are voting on a new tentative agreement with BC port operators. The longshore workers rejected a TA last week. And on July 31st, the Teamsters announced members at T-Force Freight ratified a new national contract by 81%. The five-year master agreement provides members with significant improvements to wages and benefits and safeguards against subcontracting and technology. The steam at Starbucks isn't just in their espresso machines. It keeps building as workers keep organizing and winning. This week, Starbucks Workers United National Bus Tour hit Eugene, Oregon, before moving on to Washington State. Also, this week workers at the Chevy Chase Starbucks in Washington, D.C. filed for a union election. Starbucks workers in St. Louis won their union election with a 14-2 vote. Starbucks workers in Salem, Oregon walked out on strike. Long Island Starbucks workers marched on the Starbucks regional corporate headquarters in Manhattan to demand the reinstatement of a shift leader who they say was fired for his union activity, and, according to The Independent, to confront their former boss who sacked him. And five more stores in Washington, California, and Ohio filed for union representation on Friday. Staying in the restaurant and food service sector, NBC Connecticut reports that six restaurants in that state withheld tips, wages, and overtime from employees, violating the Fair Labor Standards Act. A federal court has ordered the restaurants to pay more than $850,000 in back wages and damages. In 2018, workers at the Pacific Northwest's Burgerville stores made history as the first fast food union to win federal recognition. This week, workers at Portland, Oregon's Convention Center store went on strike in response to what the union calls the company's refusal to bargain and their escalation of retaliation and unilateral changes. Moving into the retail sector, 
Staff at Solid State Books in Washington, D.C. voted to ratify their first union contract, making them the second unionized bookstore in the District of Columbia to ratify a collective bargaining agreement with UFCW Local 400 as their bargaining agent. The Minneapolis Star-Tribune reports Kowalski's Market and United Food and Commercial Workers Local 663, which represents workers at six Kowalski stores, came to a tentative agreement last week that headed off a strike scheduled to start on August 4th. Winsight Grocery Business reports the workers have since ratified the contract, which includes raises of $2 to $4 an hour by 2025, as well as 401k access and union health care with no employee contribution. It's common knowledge in the labor movement that if you're going to buy books online, you should order them from Powell's Books instead of that other internet bookseller, because Powell's has a unionized workforce. The Portland Mercury reports this week that 92% of that unionized workforce, members of ILWU Local 5, voted to authorize a strike citing poverty wages at what is otherwise a dream job for many book lovers. This was a dark week for gig workers. First, Bloomberg reported that a coalition of gig economy giants planned to reboot a failed ballot initiative in Massachusetts to cement their workers' status as independent contractors. On the same day, Business Insider reported that Instacart has slashed pay for delivery drivers, from a minimum of $7 per order to $4. If you use Instacart, tip those drivers. In Building Trades news, the ironworkers announced this week that workers at Four Speak Steel in Point Pleasant, New Jersey, filed for an election to become union ironworkers. The Washington State Standard reports a coalition of unions released a report on Monday laying out an ambitious, worker-centered climate roadmap to create more than 800,000 jobs across the Evergreen State in the building, transportation, energy, and low-carbon manufacturing sectors. Let's talk about some organized workers in a field you might not expect. The legal field. The Brooklyn paper reports that two years after unionizing and still without a contract, legal professionals at Brooklyn Defender Services held a lunchtime picket in New York. In education news, the Jan Hap News Agency reports that tens of thousands of teachers staged a large-scale protest in downtown Seoul, Korea, after a colleague took her own life at an elementary school last week. And the Northwestern University Library Workers Union announced that it has come to a tentative agreement on its first contract with the university. There's plenty more labor news to share in this episode of Labor Week. But before we move on, I have to get serious. And we have to have the talk. You know, the money talk. I'm getting so serious, in fact, that I'm taking off my news guy voice for a minute. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Podcasts are a great, low-cost way to get information out to people. But make no mistake, they're are costs associated with the production of Labor Week. Not to you, of course. You get to listen to the show for free. On my end, though, there are subscription fees, hosting costs, and the sheer amount of time it takes to comb the internet every day to find the biggest stories as they break. That's why I'm going to ask you right now to visit the support tab at laborweek.org to find out how you can keep Labor Week going week after week, either by making a one-time donation through PayPal 
or becoming a sponsor through Patreon and gaining access to the full show every week. Oh, wait. Did I not mention that you're not getting the full show right now? Yeah. Here's the deal. There are a lot of labor stories each week. Far more than I can fit into a half-hour or so podcast. That doesn't mean I don't record all the headlines before I edit the show, though. Patrons will get access to the full show, however long that ends up being, plus some other perks I've got brewing in the back of my mind. So, if you want to keep Labor Week going and gain access to even more Labor Week, visit the support tab at laborweek.org. That's it. That's the pitch. Now let's get back to the news. You ready, news guy? Ready. All right, here we go. All eyes have been on Hollywood as both the Writers Guild and the Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA, have gone on strike against the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, or AMPTP. This week, one of those eyes blinked. Deadline.com reports that the AMPTP, through Chief Negotiator Carol Lambertini, reached out to the WGA and requested a meeting to discuss negotiations. Meanwhile, on the other coast... The RAP reports that the New York City Council has unanimously passed resolutions supporting the SAG-AFTRA and WGA strikes against Hollywood Studios. The Hollywood Reporter shared the news that two weeks after the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA filed National Labor Relations Board grievances against NBC Universal, claiming the studio had infringed on their members' right to picket by obstructing the public sidewalk in front of their studio lot, the company has restored partial access along Lancashire Boulevard. All the focus in the entertainment world is on SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild, but another entertainment union is stepping up to help workers affected by these dual strikes. The Hollywood Reporter broke the news that IATSE would be hosting a food drive in collaboration with the L.A. Food Bank and the L.A. County Federation of Labor. IOTSE reported on its Instagram page that the organizations handed out over 850 boxes of food. SAG-AFTRA isn't the only performers' union making news this week. Actors' Equity announced that performers at the Basement Escape Room in Silmar, California, have announced they are unionizing with Equity. Once the union is recognized, either voluntarily by management or through card check, the basement will become the first unionized escape room in the United States. Moving into public employee news, the American Federation of Government Employees was happy to report that TSA workers received their first paycheck with an increase of up to 31%. This is the first major pay raise since the creation of the TSA 21 years ago, and a monumental step towards fighting the high attrition rate and difficulties in recruiting and retention TSA has experienced. Members of IFPTE Local 21 and AFSME Local 101 voted this week on a strike authorization in San Jose, California. CBS Bay Area reports that the workers are demanding a 7% pay increase and that the result of the vote will be announced on Monday. Virginia was one of the few states with a blanket ban on collective bargaining for public sector employees until 2020, when that state's General Assembly enacted a new law giving the final say to localities. 
Now, the Virginian pilot reports that firefighters and emergency workers in Portsmouth are attempting to secure collective bargaining power for city employee organizations to negotiate for better wages, safety measures, and working conditions. The 19-week-long strike by unionized workers at Ecaluit Housing Authority in Ecaluit, Canada, ended Tuesday after both the Union and Housing Authority Board ratified a new five-year collective bargaining agreement. The Nunatsiak News reports that workers have been striking since March 17th and had been locked out by the employer two days after going on strike. In healthcare worker news, the Chicago Sun-Times reports about 200 Loretto hospital workers, including certified nursing assistants, med techs, and housekeeping staff, went on strike Monday morning. About 100 registered nurses at the Confluence Health Mayor's Campus in Wenatchee, Washington, have voted to unionize. The Wenatchee World reports that the nurses chose the Washington State Nurses Association to represent them as their bargaining agent. In manufacturing news, Surprise, surprise! Reuters reports that the big three automakers are criticizing the UAW's contract demands, including a 32-hour week and a 40% pay increase. It's worth noting the UAW said earlier this week that the CEOs of the Detroit Three had won 40% pay hikes on average over the last four years. An article by the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply is reporting that a coalition of labor and human rights groups are calling on the Ramatex Group and Nike to provide compensation to more than 1,200 workers at the Violet Apparel Factory in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Workers at the factory were allegedly given just 24 hours' notice when the factory closed operations in June 2020. GM's electric vehicle arm, Ultium, says it won't recognize its workers under the same union contract as ordinary GM employees. As More Perfect Union puts it, if car makers have their way, the auto jobs of the future are going to be poverty wage work. KMVT reports that amalgamated sugar workers in Nampa, Idaho, members of BCTGM Local 283G, are voting on whether or not to go on strike as early as Monday. Now let's turn to the tech sector. The union at collectible card company TCG Player has filed an unfair labor practice suit against eBay, TCG Player's parent company. The Verge reports that the complaint alleges management at eBay and TCG Player have refused to acknowledge the workers' union since they won it in March, and is engaged in tactics designed to impede or delay workers' ability to negotiate for a fair contract. VTDigger.com reports an administrative law judge at the National Labor Relations Board has ordered that four engineers fired by Vermont Information Processing in 2022 are entitled to get their jobs back, after being fired when they created a spreadsheet for employees to share their salary information on. Workers are alleging that Grindr, the company that makes the app many of you don't want your bros to know is on your phone, is using a new return-to-office policy to punish employees who were trying to unionize. Fortune reports that the Communications Workers of America filed a complaint with the National Labor Relations Board saying the moves were in response to the union drive that workers announced on July 20th. There's been a surge of organizing at nonprofits over the past few years, with workers reminding nonprofit leadership and donors that they need to be able to live while supporting those organizations' missions. Sometimes those organizations do the right thing, 
Workers at the New York nonprofit For the Many announced this week that they formed a union and that the union was immediately voluntarily recognized by management. The anti-hunger nonprofit Maison, meanwhile, has hired Littler Mendelssohn to help it counter a union drive by its workers. Maison United, the staff union, calls Littler Mendelssohn a notorious law firm with a troubling anti-worker history and a track record for aggressive union-busting tactics. Reuters reports that the NLC vows to expedite an agreement on a new minimum wage, among other promises. Let's take a quick look at internal union news. The United Mine Workers of America announced this week that Cecil E. Roberts has been re-elected by acclamation to his seventh full term as international president, and his running mate, Brian Sonson, was elected to his first full term as international secretary-treasurer. Meanwhile, Variety reports that WGA East President Michael Winship will not be seeking re-election, saying, quote, Now the time has come for me to pass responsibility to the new generation of Guild members and the elected council. Unquote. We've reached that part of the show where we dive into some of the articles, reports, and think pieces impacting working people that have come out over the past week. In news that will surprise no one who works five days a week, eight hours a day, a New Zealand nonprofit released findings this week from its pilot program testing out a four-day work week in countries including the U.S., Australia, and the United Kingdom. The workers at the companies are happier and more efficient, and the firms made more money. The AFL-CIO has released its annual executive pay watch report and finds that the average S&P 500 index CEO compensation was $16.7 million in 2022, the second highest level of executive pay in history. The data shows that over the past decade, CEO pay increased by $5 million. How much has your paycheck gone up in the past 10 years? Unite Here's culinary union launched a new website, stationsmudlist.org, to expose station casinos' use of mud lists during the pandemic. A mud list is used to offer work according to which employees were pro-management, M, pro-union, U, or don't know, D. The names of 2,261 workers appear on mud lists from station properties. Quote, It is illegal for an employer to discriminate based on union preference when hiring workers. Unquote said Bethany Kahn, spokeswoman for the Culinary Union. New polling from the Pew Research Center found about one in five American workers had jobs with high exposure to AI last year. Exposure meaning the most important tasks could be replaced or assisted by the technology. Ronnie Mala writes in Vox that much of the union activity we're experiencing right now has to do with structural issues of inequality that were exacerbated by the pandemic during which the public called many people essential workers, while their employers treated them like the opposite. Jake Schinker at The Guardian takes us inside the strike at Amazon's BHS Logistics Hub in Coventry, England, and shares some of the human stories behind the decision to go on strike. Cornell's School of Industrial and Labor Relations has released its June Labor Action Tracker report, and finds that approximately 46,250 workers were on strike that month. 
This may be our first episode, but there are lots of shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network that have been at this for years. The Alabama Reporter notes that amid a summer of ongoing labor struggles across the country, one of those shows, the Valley Labor Report, has seen an increase in views and interaction. Before we go, it's worth noting a couple of events in labor history that occurred in the past week. On July 30th, 1766, silver miners in Real del Monte, Mexico, went on strike in the first recorded strike against an employer in North American history. On August 4th, 1997, the Teamsters went on strike against United Parcel Service. A certain company is very happy history didn't repeat itself this week. And this week marks the anniversary of the infamous Patco strike in 1981. Looking ahead to next week, Starbucks Workers United will be holding a National Day of Action on August 7th, asking Starbucks customers and allies to adopt a non-union store to support workers in their communities. Check the show notes for a link to more information on how you can adopt a Starbucks store. And that's Labor Week for August 4th, 2023. Did I miss anything? Well, become a sponsor through Patreon and listen to the full show. If you already did that and I still missed a story from this week, let me know. Email me at news at laborweek.org or find me on Facebook and Twitter at laborweek. See what I did there with the at? As always, you'll find links to the articles mentioned in this edition of Labor Week in the show notes and at laborweek.org. Looking to take a deeper dive into some of these stories? You'll probably find it on one of the nearly 200 shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network, like Work Stoppage, for instance. Find out more about the Labor Radio Podcast Network and find your new favorite podcast, besides this one, at laborradionetwork.org. Labor Week is produced and edited by me, Harold Phillips, under a SAG-AFTRA micropod agreement. Our music is from Batitudes, Joe Hill Punk Exposure. Find out more about Batitudes at facebook.com slash Batitudes. Check the link in our show notes. I'll see you next week.